the early church continues to have problems, and we find out what Jesus smells like. Welcome to Daily Gospel, equipping you to know God through His Word and His Son, Jesus Christ. My name is Keith, and this is Brandon, and we are pastors here in Santa Cruz, California at Gospel Community Church. Welcome, like, subscribe, comments. Um, we are in the problem books of the early church, are we not? Mm, yep. Yeah, yep. these are the epistles, but First, Second 2 Corinthians, they're addressed to this church that is messed up. I want to know what Jesus smells like. What, what does he smell <laughs> oh, yeah. like? Well, um, I know Christians are supposed to smell like Jesus. We'll leave it at that for now. Okay. Yeah. And it's either a really good thing or a really bad thing. Yeah, it depends on who you are. Yeah. Depends on who you who is smelling you, I think. Yeah. Oh, uh, yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. 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 So um, we'll get yeah. into that. But yeah, Corinthians, we saw a lot in the last few weeks, First Corinthians, all about this group of messed up people at this church that Paul had planted. And you got you to you remember, this is like within a few years of it being planted. Mm-hmm. You know, he probably wrote this book somewhere around... AD 55, 56, something like that. He planted this church in AD 52, most likely. Crazy. That yep. seems to be the timeline. So this church is as old as our church is right now. Wow. Crazy. You know? so, and, and they don't have the benefit of you know, the all the resources and yeah, the, the oh, other you know, established <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, churches or History experience. Or anything, or, yeah. yeah, like as far as the church world, right. there's a lot of novelty here. So yeah. it's, it's interesting to see how he's addressing these problems and... Um, yeah, that we're not the only people that have problems. That the church has always had problems. Always, yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I guess it's not so surprising that a bunch of Christians in the other church were killed all the time. So pretty unorganized. <laughs> <laughs> it's <clean. laughs> Oh yeah, it's definitely their fault for getting killed. <laughs> if you had just been better, you, you just have been obedient killed. to the Roman that's, government and listened a little bit more. Maybe, yeah. maybe you wouldn't have died. You know. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's what people say today, right? Exactly. Yeah, why do yeah. Christians? Why don't people like Christians? Like yeah. they like Jesus a ton, right? What? How did he? How did he die? Like he died happy and full yeah. of yeah. you know old good ripe things, old age, right? right? Yeah, because yeah. everyone loved him. Yeah. Yeah. So okay, so this this Second uh, Corinthians is written right after First Corinthians. So we're talking mid fifties. Um, it's maybe you know a few months, maybe a, a year and a half, but it's really soon I after. Do, I do have a question though. Yeah, second, first and second Corinthians were written very shortly after. But how many times did Paul actually write to this church? Yeah, so this is this is pr- at least the fourth time he's written to them. Fourth time? Yeah. Why do so, we have two books in the New Testament? Because these are what God and his providence has preserved for Holy Scripture. So whatever was written in the first and third books were not had profitable some, Had enough, some error in them. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> So, yes, remember, so 1 Corinthians was actually the second letter, at least, written to the Corinthian church. Mm -hmm. So he's referencing this letter in in, in 1 Corinthians. Mm -hmm. So we know he's responding to these different questions they had or issues that were brought up. So in a sense, 1 Corinthians is really 2 Corinthians. Often people refer to the, the letter that's lost as Corinthians A. Mm. Just so it doesn't confuse you, but that's still confusing. And then there's a letter between First and Second Corinthians as well, which is known as the the tearful letter. Mm-hmm. So we see this in chapter seven, verse eight. Mm-hmm. He makes mention of this. I'm trying to find this verse real quick, but he he mentions how there was this you know sad letter he wrote for seven eight. Um, for even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I see the letter grieved you, though only for a while. So. He knows that this letter that he had written, which was more confrontational, is is difficult. So, yeah, so this would have been 3 Corinthians if you were to go in order, right? So 1 right. Corinthians is really 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians is really 4 Corinthians. 
if you were to think of it that way. Love I know it. math is not your strong suit. Yeah, it's also not no. mine. <laughs> I haven't done math since high school. So We need, we need our intern, Mikey Johnson. He has the smarts with math. Yeah, he'll, he'll lose it. Don't worry. Don't worry. He'll lose it. <laughs> Um, but but yeah, so well, don't you don't have to get too confused on that. Just understand that there were other communications happening that are implied in this, including what's known as the painful visit. Mm-hmm. So Paul makes mention of this that he had made a visit to them. We see this in Second Corinthians chapter two, verse one, mm-hmm. where he says, "I made up my mind not to have make another painful visit to you." Right. So there had been some he he'd gone to visit them. It had been bad confrontational. They had dishonored Paul in some way. Mm -hmm. And so he's writing to deal with a lot of things, to reconcile himself to the church and to, yeah, to encourage them in different ways. Cool. So really the the impetus for this letter is is really threefold. So first, he's going to focus on reconciling with the Corinthians. Mm -hmm. Second, he's going to call them towards generosity. Yep. So like a good pastor, he's not going to miss an opportunity to raise some funds. But I'm classic, just, just kind of classic kinda Southern teasing, Baptist here. Teasing, yeah. Uh, but no, but it, it's really not about about him, not about his, his church, so to speak. It's about helping other churches in need. And then the third thing he's going to do is he's going to confront these so-called super apostles. Right. And this is really a kind of a sarcastic term or a cutting term because they, these leaders that had come to the church, believe themselves to be superior to Paul. Hmm. So Paul's like, I'm not going to brag, but I'm way better than them. Right. You know, but I'm not going to brag, but you made me brag, <laughs> uh, you know, that kind of a thing. So they're undermining his teaching. They're saying he's not a great speaker. They're saying Paul doesn't even accept pay from you. He's just like a lowly worker. And Paul's going to use his theology of, of the gospel to show them why they're wrong and right. why how he's living is correct. Right. So yeah, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, so it's a very autobiographical letter. A lot of things about Paul in this, a lot yeah. about his heart and his focus of his ministry. Yeah, his suffering, yeah, it's cool. Um, cool, what are, what are the themes? We can do a little recap of 1 Corinthians, what's the major theme of 2 Corinthians as well? Yeah, so 1 Corinthians was the gospel applied, right? Romans was the gospel. Yeah. 1 Corinthians, the gospel applied. This would just be the gospel applied part two. Mm-hmm. But in 1 Corinthians, the focus is more on the resurrection. Mm-hmm. How does the resurrection inform the Christian life? In 2 Corinthians, it's more the crucifixion. So it's more about the cruciform life. Yeah, that seems to Explain be the emphasis, um, shaped by the cross. Yeah, like our lives. As yeah, we live them. Yeah. yeah. So how? Yeah. yeah. So is it shaped by the cross? So he's going to vindicate his ministry in this as well, but he's doing all that through the lens of the cross, saying, "I'm lowly, but that's how God works. He mm-hmm. accomplishes his greatest things through the you know the horror of the gospel, the humiliation of the gospel. So I'm living a life like Christ. Right." Awesome. How's uh, the book of Second Corinthians structured for us, the letter? Yeah, very simple. Uh, the first seven chapters, he's focusing on the ministry of reconciliation. So laying out his own ministry, but also being reconciled with them, addressing those past issues and, and making peace. In chapters eight through nine, the ministry of generosity. Yep. So how can you enter into ministry by being generous? Mm-hmm. And then the last thing would be chapters 10 to 13, the ministry of Paul. Yeah. So he's going to focus on himself. He's going to attack the super apostles at the end. There's like this real turning point, which we'll address when we get there, in chapter 10. Like when mm-hmm. it starts, all of a sudden he's just like swinging. Yeah. I think he seems really worked up. Um, but So that's kind of interesting. But he's he at the end, he's focusing. He kind of ends with a challenge to them of, are you saved or not? Yeah. So. Yeah, pretty, pretty intense. Examine yourself, kind of thing. Yeah, um, cool. Well, I'm excited for it. You want to get into it? Let's do it. Let's do it. Chapter one. So the the book opens with some amazing, encouraging words 
about comfort in times of affliction. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is just such profitable how stuff. Many, how many times is comfort? Like ten times in the first yeah, seven, I don't know. seven verses or something? Yeah, no. it's 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 yeah, it's really just he's really focusing on this idea of how God comforts us and strengthens us. So we see he he calls God in verse three the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Mm-hmm. And then he goes on to talk about how he comforts us, verse four, in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction mm-hmm. with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So when we are when we go through difficult times through suffering, we are comforted by God, often through the ministry of other people. Mm-hmm. And then that allows us, that teaches us and shapes us so that we can comfort others. Yeah. It's really it's really fascinating. And he goes on to talk about this some more, verse five. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. So he's, he's showing that theology of the cross here and saying, look at Christ and his suffering, but also the comfort that that brings. So we're sharing in that suffering mm-hmm. as well. In verse 6 is, if we're afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same suffering that we suffer. Mm-hmm. This is a really interesting view of suffering he's laying out here. He's saying, Paul's saying, my suffering is for you. When I suffer, it's so that you can be blessed through my suffering. And when God comforts me, it's so that you can be blessed through my comfort and I can I can also comfort you. Mm-hmm. And I, I and if we were to change our view of our own suffering in this way and see it as it's not just about us, like God doesn't do everything just for us. He prepares us for future ministry right. and to be able to bless others. And so when we struggle and we go through these hard times, it allows us to to give something that we couldn't couldn't previously give. Right, yeah. So it's really interesting. So suffering is not about you. It's about God, really ultimately God's glory, right. but you blessing others through that suffering. Yeah, no, that's great. And, and even just, you know, the whole being a Christian and the Christian life isn't about us individually as Christians. We are affected individually by the gospel and the cross on all, and resurrection of Jesus. Um, but it's not ultimately about us just getting reconciled with God. It's about that and so much more, you know? Yeah, there's, so. yeah it's a, there's a huge scope to it. Yeah. And, and suffer, so suffering is about God preparing you to comfort and bless others. It's also about God mm-hmm. making you depend on Him. So verse 9, he says this, is, and we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He mm-hmm. delivered us from such deadly peril, and He will deliver us. Yeah. So suffering is meant to breed dependence on God. Mm. That's what it's all about. So if you have that mentality in your suffering, I think you're going to suffer a lot differently. Yeah. But but you know often we we miss that. So think think on these verses, meditate on them. They're they're a huge blessing. And then he talks about how he wanted to visit. Right. He's, verse fifteen. He says, "I was sure of this. I wanted to come to you first, so that you might have a second experience of grace." So he he wanted to visit them. And he, he begins to speak about, okay, so why, why did I not come? Was I changing my mind? Was I vacillating? And he, was, he says, no, um, ultimately everything is fulfilled in Christ. So he goes to verse 20, right? He says, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him we utter our amen to God for his glory. So God, So Christ is the one who was able to say yes to everything, ultimately speaking. He was able to reconcile every problem. Um, and it's such an interesting verse in terms of how we view the Scripture as well, mm-hmm. that every that the amen of God is is Christ. He's the one who fulfills all those promises. Yeah. So Paul's saying, yeah, okay, by my human limitations, I'm falling short, 
but Jesus is the one who can do what I can't do. Mm-hmm. And so, so chapter one is kind of setting up for the rest of the, the book, obviously, but kind of laying some of those important things. So he wanted to visit them, but then chapter two, it moves to that painful visit. Yeah. So he talks about the painful visit that he had, and he begins to encourage them in certain ways. He says in verse six that you should restore the sinner that you previously disciplined. Mm-hmm. Now, this might be a reference to First uh, Corinthians chapter five, that there, there had been this person that was having an affair with their stepmom, and so Paul said, get them out of the church, mm-hmm. excommunicate them, and now it's possible the same person is in view. Yeah. He's saying, okay, you were obedient, now bring that person back. Right. He says, verse 6, he says, for such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. That again points to church discipline as being the whole body and not just like the, the elders laying down a sentence, right? The majority means that the the bulk of the people in the church are saying you need to be out of right. commun- out of communion with the, s- the saints, but he says so that you should verse seven so you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Mm-hmm. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. So this person is sorrowful; they're repentant. Okay, now bring them back in. This is an yeah. important um, side of church discipline that we we don't want to neglect, mm-hmm. right? Which is the goal of church discipline is to bring that person back into. The communion, All right? It's not to just it's restore. Yeah, yeah, it's not just to to get them out and then be okay. Now we're done. Yeah. But no, the hope is they would one day come back. Yeah. So an interesting uh, little note there, and then he begins to talk about our triumphal procession that we have in Christ. Hmm. So that Christ is leading us. He's he's victorious over the grave. He's victorious in his death and resurrection. So now he's leading us in triumphal procession. Hmm. So there's sort of a turn here as well at the end of chapter two. But let me just read some of this, and we'll talk about what it means, because this might have confused you as you were reading. This is uh, for 2 Corinthians 2.14. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. So this is kind of clear. He's saying God uses us as part of this triumphal procession in the world to spread the smell of Jesus everywhere. Mm-hmm. And of course, it's using a positive, like if you just say smell, it, that's, often a negative thing, but this is like a positive thing. The aroma, aroma, right? This fragrance that's going into the world and causing people to respond, right? One of the the strongest senses that we have is our sense of smell. Yeah, it brings a memory. Yeah, in terms of its power, right? Because, I mean, obviously we we depend on our eyesight the most. But So we're this aroma. Well, what kind of aroma are we? Verse 15, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are being perishing. So there's among those who are perishing. So there's two different groups in view. Mm-hmm. We're an aroma to those who are being saved and to those who are perishing, the elect and the non-elect. Yeah, it's the same aroma. Yeah, So, but verse 16 says, to one, meaning to the, the perishing, a fragrance from death to death, to the other, meaning those who, who are being saved, a fragrance from life to life. Hmm. So how does the Christian, in terms of going out and giving this gospel and being a light in the world, how does the Christian smell to, or Jesus smell to the unbeliever? He smells like death, mm-hmm. right? There's a reaction that's just in the heart, right? Because of your sinfulness and your rejection of God, that when you encounter Jesus or someone who's like him, you want to run away. Mm-hmm. I was just talking to um, one of the, fo- I don't want to name him because I don't want to embarrass him, but one of the folks who, who does ministry on campus, Mm-hmm. And he was telling me that um, in the course of their outreach on campus, this is at UC Santa Cruz, of course, our great 
an extremely progressive school here, ranked number one very often in, in being most liberal. Um, he said, and they're witnessing, they'll like, you know, hey, here, come fill out the survey, you know, uh, talk to us about, you know, whatever. And then the person will say, like, wait, are you guys Christian? And it has happened like a few different times. I mean, he says every time they go out, someone will just laugh in their face. But he said he's had people literally just as soon as they hear the word Christian run as fast as they can <laughs> away, just like full on sprint. Or he had one person like throw the clipboard to the ground and walk away. Nice. It just like it, you know, that, that a lot of people when they hear that word or they come into contact with someone or they see a holy life or whatever it might be, there is a visceral reaction. I mean, I for myself, I remember that, you know, that smell of death when before I was regenerated. Um, I remember hearing like the word Jesus and Christian music on the radio, like it accidentally the radio would actually flip to a Christian song. And I would just get angry and like frustrated and turn it off as soon as I could. You know? Well that's just Caleb though. Oh, okay. Never mind. Yeah, no, that's a normal reaction actually. Okay, sweet, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I uh, no, I get that. I get that. Yeah. So and again, just in terms of thinking of our interaction with the world, sometimes a opposition by the world is not a sign that you're doing something wrong. Yeah. It's just a sign that you are doing what the yeah, Bible says. So you point. have to be wise about that. You don't want to be just a jerk and do stupid stuff, but you know, this is to be expected. Yes, yeah. And so he goes on in verse 17, he says, we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Hmm. So so that's, that's an interesting uh, little window into what it means to be a Christian. Mm-hmm. In our engagement with the world, yeah. some and this is how you what you'll see in evangelism that some people will light up as you talk to them about this, mm. and you're you don't know why, but they'll be drawn to it. They'll you know they'll be irresistibly drawn to it. We could say, and others <laughs> will be no matter what you say, no matter how good your argument is, they will hate what you're saying. Right, and that's that's where the the work of God is. Right, your work then stops. You've given the word. You don't. You can't give more than you have. And it's it's up to God. Mm-hmm. Of course, everything is up to God, but that is solely the work of God. Yeah, to bring someone to faith in Him. Right. No, but it's so clear. To be clear about that. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's clear that He uses us and joyfully uses His people, though. So. Yep. Exactly. Persisting for we are an aroma of Christ to God among those. You know. Yeah. So we're representing Jesus, and by His grace, He uses us. Yeah, we get to partner with Him in that. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Chapter three. As we move along here. Chapter three, um, he begins to focus more on this ministry of reconciliation, um, and he begins to speak to the new covenant versus the old covenant, mm-hmm. and how this new ministry is different than the old ministry. And chapters three and four are really just some amazing chapters. There's some great stuff here, but uh, we'll just touch on a few things here. So verse chapter three, verse one, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? So it seems like maybe in the past letters they had been asking for a letter of recommendation. And he's like, do we need this? No, he says, verse 2, you yourselves are our letter of recommendation, Mm. written on our hearts to be known and read by all. Mm. So you are our proof of what we have done. You're the proof of our ministry. And so he begins to kind of take a segue and go into what this ministry is all about. Verse 5, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything that's coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So Paul here is going back to what we saw a lot of in Romans, where he's contrasting the letter of the law 
and the, the spirit, right? The law of the spirit. And he's contrasting these two things and showing how much greater the the ministry that comes through Jesus, the new covenant, is in the old covenant. Right. So he's going to be making this contrast. So he says, verse 7, Now if the ministry of death, that's his reference to the old covenant, which again only brought death, it couldn't actually lead to life. Right. If the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more mm. glory? No. So this is an argument from the lesser to greater. He's talking about Moses and saying, there was so much glory from this ministry that only brought death. Mm-hmm. Right? The law can't save you because you can't keep it. Right. So isn't there even more glory in this ministry that brings life? Yeah. This, I mean, we, we're, we're, we're part of something that is incredible. And so he's... He's arguing about how great this new covenant is, that it's permanent, that it's lasting, that it brings life, all of these idea, uh, ideas. And he says in verse 12, Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. So again, kind of confusing language here, but he's saying, we're not like Moses who was veiling the ministry. Hmm. Right, who had to veil it because people were not capable of gazing upon something so glorious. Right. So no, he's saying we're taking the veil off. We're seeing God face to face. Right. This is this is true, open, direct communion with God. He says, verse fourteen says, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, even when they read the old covenant, they being the Jews, mm-hmm. that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. So. They're just like he used that veil as a metaphor for the condition of Jews today. Yeah. They're unable when they read the law to see Jesus in the law mm-hmm. because they are partially blinded. Hmm. They have this veil that's on. And so he says, um, you know, but when someone, verse 16, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Hmm. So turning to the Lord, part of that is being able to see and understand scripture correctly. Right. right? Your heart is now open to that. Um, God brings illumination of the scriptures to understand, and so oh, the veil is taken away. The ministry of the Spirit giving us understanding. Yeah, yeah. We, our First Corinthians yeah. two fourteen, right? That we we are able to have the mind of Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at least um, not that's not like that first, but um, but now he says now where the, the the Lord is sorry now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Mm-hmm. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Hmm. So the idea here is that as we have this veil removed and we're seeing God clearly, we're being transformed to look like him. Hmm. So what what you behold ultimately is what's going to transform you. Mm-hmm. It's what's going to, to shape you into its image. Hmm. That's how we're designed to function. So what are you gazing on? What are you looking at? What are you focusing on in your life? That's going to show you how you're going to grow. Mm-hmm. Now, as as we read this this word... We understand that this is where we encounter God today. Mm-hmm. It's not about going off into the woods to be alone. I'm not against that, obviously, but it's not about some some spiritual experience. It's not about um, you know secret knowledge beyond Scripture. Like, no, this is where we encounter Jesus. Right. So you know, if if you do that in the woods, that's that's good for you. I don't care. <laughs> but this is the key. Yeah, the woods is not the key. This is Scripture. The key. Yeah. yeah, this yeah. is where we meet Jesus, and so we behold His glory. Day by day, as we read, that's why we're going through this the scripture. Mm-hmm. We're taking this painstaking time 
to walk with with you through this because if even a few of you can really soak up what's here, your life will be changed. Mm-hmm. You, and if you can learn to grow and to, to read on your own, yeah. you're going to be able to behold Jesus in a better way. Yeah, amen. So that's what we have. We have something, something that's so much better than the old covenant. Mm. Now let's get into verse chapter 4 and then we'll, we'll end here. Chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. He says, Having this ministry by the mercy of God, we don't lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways or refused to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And I love this. Paul is saying, we're not going to mess around with God's word. We're not going to hide things. We're not going to edit or truncate or mm-hmm. whatever the word of God. We're going to give it to you yeah. directly. I was talking with a friend recently who's a younger in the faith. Goes to a different church, and he was he was saying, you know, I know that um, you guys at Gospel Community, you guys like to just tell people directly what the Bible says. You'll lay it all out there. He says, my church, were, they're much um, softer. Like, they won't address those things because their goal is to be nice and to kind and to bring people into the, the faith. And he was trying to say, look, you know, both, both ways are good, mm-hmm. both ways are fine. And, of course, we want to be all for loving people and bringing them into the faith. But we can't redefine how that happens. Right. And, and we can't be smarter than, than God was right. when he gave us this word. Right. And Paul gets that. He, I mean, Paul's an apostle. Just someone who, can, who could have the authority, theoretically, to like change something he didn't like, you think you know, Paul could do it. <laughs> yeah. Let's get rid of that. Let's, let's edit that out. No, he's saying we're going to give the entire word of God to you because to, to not do that would be underhanded. Mm-hmm. It would be tampering with God's word. Yep. It would be lying. So I, lo- I just love that statement, just how open and direct he is. Yeah. And if you're if you're listening and you are someone who teaches God's word in any sense, be like Paul. Yeah. Don't be like be like everyone else in Scripture who's <laughs> who's on God's side. Say the truth. Right? I remember yeah. think of like King Ahab back in uh, was it First Kings mm-hmm. where he's like oh, I don't want to listen to that prophet. He only says bad things he, about me. The truth. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it's also known as the truth. So. Uh, and so he's talking about the, the the veiled nature of unbelievers. And he says, verse 4, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Yeah. So Satan has worked to blind unbelievers to keep them from seeing Jesus. This, this statement of him being the image of God is massive in terms of the scope of Scripture. And we don't have time to go through all of it. But yeah. the image of God, I mean, man is the image of God, mm-hmm. Adam. And, and by extension, all of us have the image of God. But Jesus is the restoration of what was lost in Adam, mm. the perfect image of God. Right. So he is that image. And when we gaze on him and behold him, we're being shaped into the same image mm. that he's in. It's an amazing thing. For, verse 6, the God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. Mm. Again, good good verses to really meditate on. But he's saying, God spoke, let there be light. Now he's speaking into our hearts to give us the knowledge of Jesus. Yeah. And he does that through showing us his face yeah. by, by being shaped into a, in a knowledge of him. And so he goes on the rest of this chapter to talk about the weak state that we're in as humans, that we have a treasure in jars of clay, meaning we have this great message, but we are weak and we are afflicted, verse 8, or persecuted, verse 9. And he says, verse 10, we're always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested 
in our bodies. So this verse is very important for understanding the entire scope of the book. Yeah. He's going to talk about how weak and how lowly and how he, he doesn't get paid, all these things, right? How low he is, but he's saying that's how God works to lift us up mm-hmm. and to proclaim his truth. That's how Jesus ministered in the world. So we are people that walk around with the death of Jesus as yeah. a constant reality in order that the glorification of Jesus and the life of Jesus can be made known through us. Yeah, amen. Well, thanks for joining us for Daily Gospel. We'll see you next time.